Podcast Studios. This, this is After Nine with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hello, friends. How are you? Oh, good. Great. Oh, oh my. I'm so good. I knocked stuff over. Woo! Shaking, are you? Uh, I had a great I had a great day yesterday. It was a long day, though. I'll be honest with you. But I told you here in the podcast about it. Nile Horn, Sugar Beach, Toronto. Scott, it was mania. It was unbelievable. People stood out in the freezing rain for 13 hours to see this guy. And uh, I asked him, too, when I talked to him. And Niall Horn is who we're talking about, of course, of formerly of One Direction. Uh, and I was like, how does that feel? And he's like, I'm still never getting used to it. But I will tell you, there's something about Canada above all everywhere else. And when he tell, told me that, I truly believe him. I truly do. He really, really loved it. It was, a, it was an incredible, incredible day. It was, I mean, you saw the videos. You can go to our Instagram pages, actually. We're at, um, well, it depends on where you follow us from, but 915 The Beat on Instagram and Energy 95.3. You can look those up and see the video of the amount of people. It was the most they've ever had for a Sugar Beach uh, series. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. He's absolutely right when he says there's something about Canada. I mean, uh, when I think back, hell, 20 years ago, there was 10,000 people showing up at a mall to see the Backstreet Boys. Right, right. And to see NSYNC. And yeah. I remember doing events with Enrique Iglesias at the Eaton Center where they estimated there was 15,000 yeah. people at the mall. Yeah. You know, like Canada just comes out when there's a big performance. And those large crowds, they are hyped up for whoever they've come to see, especially when they wait that long. You know what one of the coolest things I saw yesterday was? Um, aside from Niall Horan and everything to do with the Niall Horan show, I was chatting with some girls in the front uh, front of the stage for a little while. I was the MC for the night, right? So I introduced Niall Horan. Did a couple of things, to be honest with you, Scott, I didn't think I'd be doing, but unfortunately I had to. We had to stop the show at one point because it was getting uh, a little rowdy and we had to assist people in the crowd. Thankfully, everyone's okay, though, but we did have to assist some people in the crowd. So Niall had to stop not once but twice. In fact, he left for a little bit and came back just so that the crowd could calm down. And who was the person that had to try to help calm the crowd down? Me. You. Did you get all <laughs> they, momish? They, did, you, did you pull out I the middle did, finger I and start did, wagging? You no, know, I did. But then, you know what's messed up is that they were like, oh, you know, the crowd, when, when the doors first opened before Niall came out, when the doors first open, they're going to be like, oh, it's not Niall Horan. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally fully expecting that. But the doors open and they, the crowd just roared. And I was like, okay, Niall's coming soon. And they still were like so happy. Ah! And then a couple of them pointing me out, oh, I listen to you or you're the TikTok voice. A lot of that right in the front row, especially they were so hyped considering they had been there for so long. I was impressed with that for sure. Uh, but they were actually in like a really good mood. They were happy to be there. But the cool thing was at one point when we were taking a break, I kind of just hung out and I chatted with some people in the front and these girls, they had to be like, mm, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years, no more than 20. We'll say that much. They were like, can you take a picture of us here, please? Like, this is a once in a lifetime. We want to take a picture from the stage down to us. I said, you know what? Absolutely. Hand me your phone. They didn't hand me your the phone at all. They handed me a disposable camera. Oh, really? All of them brought disposable cameras to the concert. I'm like, what is this? I kind of love that. I was like, where do you even get this developed? And the girl's like, oh, Walmart. My mom helps me. I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, you don't see that very often anymore, do you? I 
think that's so cool. I like that the young people like the retro stuff. I'm into that. They also had their phones in the air, though. You can see all the video, like I said. But yeah, it was an incredible day. Thank you so much. A bunch of people say hello. Um, and my interview with Niall himself will be out closer to the album date because we talked about the album and um, they give you a chance to listen to it. For those who don't know, they, you listen to it before so you can ask questions, but then you can't actually release the interview until the album's out in case you give away some stuff about the album. So I have to postpone that and it'll be on our, all of our radio station social channels. I think you know the ones, but uh, it'll be out in the coming weeks. I feel like he's an actual musician. Like I yeah. feel like he understands music. A lot of pop stars are... They look good and they can dance and they can kind of sing, but that's about the extent of it. But some of them are actual musicians and I feel like he's one of them. He is one of them. We talked about, we talked a bit about that. We talked about him being a mentor as well um, because he's on The Voice and he never thought he would be one, but he'll, he'll explain that. And you know what else we talked about? Golf. Golf. Good. Who to think that I would be talking to an artist about golf, uh, but he does golf when he's in Canada, except for this time around because the weather's been shit. Absolute shit. No kidding, Kat. Thank God we're almost done. Oh, this weekend does look nice, though. I'm looking ahead going, I'll take that. I can finally set up a couple of things outside I've been wanting to set up, right? Are we safe to do that, Scott? Well, you know, if you would like to set up your patio furniture, I'm not going to discourage that. Hell, I've got my pool opening up next week, so it's it's definitely time. One thing I would suggest, though, is if you're going to do your outdoor stuff, have a backup plan because at, at this rate, this day and age, anything could happen. Anything could you happen. could have 30 degrees one day and a goddamn blizzard the next. You're absolutely right. So I would I would keep your options open if you're going to put that stuff out. But it's another sign that summer is almost here. Canada's Wonderland opens tomorrow. I can't wait to go to Canada's Wonderland. So f- full truth and disclosure, I haven't been to Canada's Wonderland in eight, nine years because I had kids. Ah. And then when they're babies and when they're small and then COVID. So all of those things combined, my kids are finally at a good age where we can take them to Canada's Wonderland like I went when I was a kid. I am really looking forward to it. And I don't know if I'm going to go. I'm going to try to go in June. That's the sweet spot, right? Because school's not out yet in June. So if you can manage to play hooky, you go in June. So that's my plan. It's a great plan, too, by the way. Go when the crowds are low. Uh, We got some interesting news overnight. The CRA worker strike is over. Mm. So I was uh, texting back and forth with a CRA employee this morning, and I just wanted to know, did you guys see the contract yet? And this person has. Hmm. She says uh, the remote work part is basically just saying that the employer has to respond to requests to work from home on an individual basis versus a blanket mandate for all roles. So each individual role will get consideration. Then there's additional language about the grievance process if you get rejected. Uh, She didn't read the whole thing all that carefully, but she said basically nothing is going to change. Now, they are furious with the union. And I asked, well, why? They got you a 12.5% pay increase. Apparently, the union was telling their members that they were probably going to get around 20%. They got 12, which is still a pretty damn good raise. But the main reason they're upset is because they've been out on strike longer than anybody, and they didn't even really start negotiating the contract for the CRA tax workers until after they got the rest of PSAC done. So they were out striking, basically, without their contract even being up for consideration. And then when the other half of the union, or majority of the union, got their contract... They all went back to work and left the CRA out on the street. (laughs) So I don't blame them for being pissed off. They did get another cash top up. I think it's uh, $2,500 or something like that. Oh, all right. 
I, uh, hey, if you get a deal done, you get a deal done. Good for you. But I, I'm really wondering why we're doing this. Why are we giving out bonuses like that? Because really, without saying it, what it does is pay for the time that they were out on the picket line. So mm. they're not out any actual money. Let me remind you that if you're going to, as an organization, organized labor, go out on strike, you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk. And if we take away the risk by saying, ah, you'll get paid anyway, then there's really no incentive to not strike. I think the government is getting a lot of praise, and I don't know that it's all deserved in this case. Mm. But in any case, they're back to work. And if you have questions for the CRA or you got locked out of your account, you should be able to call today and actually get a live person on the phone. I'm assuming there's going to be a waiting time, but yeah. Oh, the backlog cat is going to be epic. They striked right at the tax deadline, and they did it on purpose because they wanted to inconvenience as many Canadians as possible to put pressure on the government. As it turns out, that did not put pressure on the government. What did put pressure on the government is just yesterday, the union said, if we don't have a deal done, we're going to protest at the Liberal Convention this weekend. Ooh, mm. yikes. That's not what the government and Trudeau wants in front of the cameras. So give them whatever they want and get a deal done. <laughs> we don't need any shit at our convention. We're going to have a good time. And maybe they will. Um, this is an interesting one. A former bride, she's married, is asking a wedding photographer for a full refund because she got divorced. Oh, you can't. No, no, no. There's one more tidbit. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Can I guess? Yep. Did the photographer have sex with her husband? Nah, you've seen that movie too many times. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. No. I have seen that movie play out in real life. Okay. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Tell me what happened. The bride is suing the photographer for a full refund because she got divorced after four years. The wedding was four years ago. She's divorced. And wants her money back from the photographer. How in the holy hell is that the photographer's issue? The photographer, Lance Romeo, received a text from the woman whose wedding he shot in 2019. <laughs> he says, when I delivered the final edits of the photographs and the video, the couple was very happy with my work. The bride herself specifically told me how much she loved everything. Flash forward to now, and there's a problem. He shared the screenshots of the text messages that the bride sent. The woman says, I don't know if you still remember me. You did a photo shoot for me at my wedding in Durban in 2019. I'm now divorced. And those pictures, I and my ex-husband don't need them anymore. You did a wonderful job on them, but they went to waste as we're now divorced. She wants a full refund because she doesn't need them anymore. That, that's the most, you know what? I hope that, take that to a trial. I would love to see the look on a judge's face, by the way. Oh, I'd love to sit in the jury too. I'd stand up and I'd be like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. That's what I would do. The guy responded, um, I can't refund you because I can't untake those pictures. Yeah, that was work. That person did work. They had nothing to do with your relationship. The bride says she's not taking no for an answer. Here's the quote. I'm entitled to demand mm. a refund as I'm no longer in need of mm, your pictures. Right. I understand it's not your fault, but you're a business. And as such, you must be able to grant refunds. She then threatened legal action. The photographer agrees to let the lawyers handle the dispute if it comes to that. You know what I'm surprised about? It is 2023. 
And there are so many entrepreneurs around the world, including listening to this pod right now. Nobody has created wedding insurance. 50%. Actually, it's more than 50%. That's that's a losing operation. More than half of weddings end in divorce. Wouldn't it be lucrative for some company to say, we're going to offer divorce insurance. In other words, you can insure your your wedding or your relationship for as much as you want. Maybe you say, you know what, just in case this fucking thing goes down the down the tubes, I'm going to insure the wedding for 30 grand. And if you divorce within 5 years, you get your money back. It's never going to work out because nobody's going to sign in on that because you go into marriage not thinking you're going to get divorced. It's the same reason why not people don't sign prenups before. We don't need that. Right? It's the same mindset. You're not going to get people looking for insurance or prenup, which one could argue is like similar, right? You're not going to get it. When people are in that love bubble, especially if they don't necessarily have a ton of money invested in it. Some people opt to spend 10 grand on a wedding, five grand on a wedding. Others spend 50 grand on a wedding. I think no matter which way you you slice it, you're not going to catch anybody with that going, oh, we should probably insure this in case this goes to the shitter. Nobody will have that conversation with their future partner. Nobody. Unless, like I said, there's money involved and that's a prenup. So I, I don't I don't see it happening. I think it's an interesting business proposal. Somebody get you know on what? that and you, I'll, I'll be yeah, the face of it. That's the thing. You got to launch it first. As a divorced, almost divorced man, I can say that that would have been helpful had it been available at the time. Well, so would a prenup. So would a prenup. Oh, fuck. You know, know what I mean? Well, there's also people who end up accumulating a lot of wealth in a marriage or in a relationship yes. that they didn't necessarily have or even think they would have when they got into the relationship. Some people say, ah, whatever. I don't even own my car outright. I don't need a prenup. I don't have any money. Well, situations change. Maybe you do need a prenup. You just don't know. And there's lots of stuff you can write into a prenup. You know what, guys? Trust me. If you're going to get married, (laughs) take my advice. Get a prenup. And let's normalize having that conversation before you get into the relationship. Because if you have to let the lawyer sort it out when your marriage inevitably goes to shit, it's going to cost you a fortune. I think that's what you got to get into. I think you got to be the face of the prenup is what you got to do. I'll be the face of the prenup. You know what I mean? Because we all know that there's lawyers that will absolutely happily because they're paid to do it, put together a prenup for you. But there's not really a push for it. It's not normalized. You're absolutely right. It's one of those things that people go like this to. Prenup. They signed a prenup. Nobody talks about it like it could be a regular thing because nobody wants to think about that. That's what you got to do is change people's mindset. And for that, you would need a push. You would need a face for it. I think you got this, Scott. You just need to find like a law firm that's willing to really make a push for them. Actually, my lawyer's exceptional. I'm going to call her after this podcast. See? Pitch. Pitch like you're on Dragon's Den, my friend. Okay, what about this? Because it is such an awkward conversation to have. Yeah. If I'm, let's just say, and I'll, I hate to go down this road, but I'll do it as a hypothetical. If I decided tomorrow that I was going to propose to my girlfriend at the exact same time, as comfortable as I am proposing, I should be just as comfortable talking to her about money. And money is the prenup conversation. That's the main part of it. But I mean, it could include the house, the kids, the pets, all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. What if we changed around the way we do things? Because it's so awkward to have the conversation, maybe you should have to present your prenup to get your marriage license. In other words, you don't get permission from the municipality to get married unless you have a prenup. Kind of like when you're buying a car, unless you show proof of insurance, you can't get the car. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't hate, I, I don't, well, listen, I, 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 
I don't hate it or anything like that, but I also don't think truly that for some people it's necessary, right? There's a lot of people who do have happy marriages for many, many years. And for those people, why would they need to go through with the prenup and then have those awkward conversations if for them it's never going to work? Although you never know in the time, I suppose. It's just like having insurance. You don't yeah. buy insurance on the assumption you're going to get in an accident, but it's great to have if you ever do. Uh, that's just my thought. If any of the decision makers happen to think mm-hmm. that's a good idea, I'd love to talk to you <laughs> about you it. Go. Although, you know who's going to be staunchly opposed to that? The divorce lawyers, because it would put them out of business. Yeah. Their whole business would be writing prenups instead of divorce agreements. Which also could be lucrative, though. If you think about it, if we did switch this world around a little bit to going and opting for a prenup before you get married, they'd still make money off that. And I think anytime lawyers make money, they're happy. According to the latest Forbes list that was released yesterday, the past 12 months saw a record-breaking number of athletes earn at least $100 million. Wow. Eight people reached the 100 milli threshold. That's twice as many as any other year. The top three soccer players, Cristiano Ronaldo, $136 million. Kylian, Kylian Mbappe, $120 million. Wow. I don't know if I said his name right. And is it Lionel Messi? Lionel Messi? Lionel? No, I said that no? once before and I was correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I'm the, don't ask me. Messi made $130 million in I, 12 months. I don't like that sport. LeBron, LeBron James, basketball star, mm-hmm. made the vast majority of his money not playing basketball. He made $119.5 million. Less than half of that was his Lakers contract. Lakers contract is one thing. And also, I mean, he's got his whole production company and stuff. A lot of these people have hustles, right? Mexican boxing champion Canelo Alvarez made $110 million boxing. Golfers Dustin Johnson, that's Paulina Gretzky's husband, Wayne Gretzky's son-in-law, $107 million last year. Phil Mickelson made $106 million. They're number six and seven on the list. That was mainly because they signed up with Live Golf. That's right. Steph Curry just squeaked into the $100 million club. Last year, he made $100.4 million. Dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, we throw these numbers out there like it's normal. That's not normal. It's not normal to make a hundred million dollars in one year. That's insane yeah. money. Could you imagine that we had that much money invested in like things that we really need, <laughs> like essential, Holy essential shit, services and things like that? Now, not to here's the here's how it goes though. So I'm LeBron James. You have power in that. Whether you like it or not, the NBA is going to make money. And that team that LeBron James plays for, which he gets paid the money from, will make money off of LeBron James being there. On merchandise, on ticket sales, on any number of other things that go along with the fact that LeBron James is on your team and that creates cash flow. And so he needs to be compensated for that because he is the powerhouse behind it. And all of that I understand. But you're absolutely right because when you strip it down and you don't think of things in that context, you don't think of things as... Uh, what people desire to watch. There are so many people out there that get paid not even close to what they're worth, not even close to a comfortable living wage that are literally saving lives. How fucked up is that? It's totally fucked up. Right? You know, I know that there are people listening right now thinking, why don't they pay the doctors more? I don't know. Can the doctor kick a fucking soccer ball? Yeah, because they can't. Because they can't swoosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
It's no, a bizarre I, argument. I, it is. I understand because we're talking about two different worlds. I understand where, where the people are coming from. It's a frustration. It's a frustration that some people don't get paid what they truly are worth. I agree, by the way, with that. I've always agreed with that. It doesn't make sense to me that someone doing something in the entertainment world can get paid literally like hundreds of times more than someone who works at a hospital sh- doing shift work every day, helping people, saving people, you know, being there for people and doing a lot of work that quite frankly, a lot of the rest of us wouldn't be able to handle. So that frustrates me uh, 100%, but it's also not government money. And when you're talking about this is a corporation essentially making money versus government, I don't think we can equate that. You know, it's not like the government is funding LeBron James's salary. That's not how it works. I don't have the audio from this one. I wish I did. It's just a computer technical issue that I can't play it for you, but I'm going to try and paraphrase here. There is a TikTok video going around and it's a guy talking about his new roommate who was kicked out of his house because he turned 18. And he talks about how cruel it is to kick somebody out of the house at 18. And it's starting a bit of a debate when you go through the comments. When should you leave home? When mm, is it okay cool. for parents to say, get out? I can, the, the second, the debate, I get it. There's going to be a debate about this for sure. Cause people are not going to agree and they're going to think that their way is the best way. There's also some people who think the parents are obligated to the kids until they're ready to leave. And that's not necessarily true either. I don't think so. Is 18 a reasonable number? Arbitrarily for a parent to say, yeah, you're here for 18 years. And then after 18 years, you're an adult. You got to figure it out. I mean, I can hear that argument in my head. My, I could, I could, my parents used to say that to us, especially once we turned those teen years and we were pains in the ass. There were three of us in the house. Okay. All teenagers. I almost heard, I think it was on a daily. Second year 18, you're out of here. The second year 18, get out of here. Especially when we did something that frustrated them. Like, Pick up your shit. As soon as you're 18, you're out of this house. Do you think that I was out at 18? No, of course no, not. No, of course not. Like, it's all it's all just bliggity blah. Most parents will allow you to stay a little longer. That said, I'm going to throw a number out there. This is my number. And I think when you reach this point, you should either be graduated from whatever you went to school for after high school, or if you're not going to school, you should have already found a job where you're making a cushy living and you get the fuck out. And that age for me is 24. I feel like that's young. No, I mean, I understand. I, I, I used to think I would be the guy who was like 18. Fuck it. You're an adult. Go live the adult uh, life. And now that I've actually got kids that are approaching the end of university, they're not even close to ready to be out there on their own. Not even close. And I don't mean mentally. I mean, financially. Everything is so expensive. What is it? It is expensive. I mean, that's true. This is a weird time right now where that could be loosened a little bit. But being home at 25 is, you know, people do it. They have to do it right now. You're absolutely right. I know people at 35 that are home right now. Sure. Because financially, if they go and rent a place, it just doesn't make sense for them. This is true. And and parents realize that too. They don't want to see kids piss away their money. Unless you're going to give your kid the down payment to buy their own place, you can't kick them out at 18. I'm sorry. You just can't. This is how I feel. 18 seems so young. Like but unless it, your kid's a real troublemaker and a pain in your ass and you've spent a lot of money on them and maybe they've been in a lot of trouble and you want to try to truly teach them a lesson in life. Even then, like as a parent, you probably would feel a little guilt doing that. No, I, I mean, I, I would feel guilt kicking my kids out, but only because I know they're not ready. And I know that I haven't given them 50 years to save for a down payment. And I think that's the key until they've got their own place to go to you can't kick them out. And I don't mean legally. I just mean as a sense of obligation, 
as a parent to a child. Right. When it comes to me and my generation, Gen X, 18 was very normal. There's a lot of people who moved out at 18, 19, 20. I moved out at 20 years old, and I was perfectly capable of running a household on my own as an adult times at 20. Times were definitely different then. Well, times were different in that they were cheaper, but yeah. also people had much more of a sense of responsibility. Right now, and I don't know if this is because of parenting or because kids are different these days, but nobody's even trying to get out at 18 anymore. It's just sort of assumed, well, mm. I'm here till the end of university. And then there's others who think, oh, I'm here until I get engaged or get married and and buy my own place. And some parents want that, by the way. Some push for that. Some say you're not leaving until you're engaged. That's true, too. Actually, until you're married. Engaged. Or married. You're right. <laughs> engaged. Or married. No, no fucking around before yeah, marriage. No yeah. doing that. Uh, anyway, I think that it is a good argument to have. And I think it's a conversation that parents need to have with their kids because you do need to start getting it on their radar. You can't spring it on them last year of university. By the way, when are you moving out? Start yes. having that conversation yes. in their late teens. Well, this is this is what I'm thinking too. And that's why I throw 24 out because 24 is when this actual serious conversation should happen. Because like I said, you should be done everything you're doing. Unless for some reason you're going for your master's after you go for school. Some people might take longer. They may be a little bit older than that. So let's say roughly 24, 25 years old. You do have to have an even more frank. I agree with you. Have the conversation, you know, Right, right after high school's done, have a conversation with just so you know, this is hopefully we'll come up with a plan. We want you to be independent financially. So we'll figure this out. And then, then you have the serious conversation when they turn that age and you go, how long do you think you're going to be here for? Cause I want to know your thoughts on it and make sure that you understand my thoughts on it. Cause mom and dad want to be able to have sex in every room of this house without worrying that you're going to be here. Well, they want to have all the people over for the orgies they, and shit like that. And it's weird when you you're there. You escalated that real quick. Oh, fuck. You're talking about mom and dad fucking in the kitchen or the laundry room. All I said was that. just the two of them. Add you a few more people in here. You escalated it. <laughs> Farm animals. Fucking, we want to back up that fucking truck. <laughs> fucking <laughs> cocaine and shit. Yeah. You know, once you get out and get your own place, we can move that into our coke room. Mama just wants to have a little toot now and again. <laughs> just a little toot. All right? Get the fuck out. Just to take the edge out. <laughs> One more thing I want to mention about this, though. As much as I think it's okay for people to be at home, as long as, as, long as everybody's getting along, if you're in your 20s or even your 30s and still living with your parents, that's a cost of living issue that our government has fucked up so badly that it's not your fault. I get it. And until you can save up that down payment to go out on your own, fine. But if you're going to be in your parents' house and you're over 18, you better start doing some adult shit. And when I say that, I mean you better contribute in every way. If you're 18 plus living in your parents' home and expecting your mother to do your laundry, grow up. If you're living in your mm -hmm. parents' home, still leaving dirty dishes in your room like you used to when you were a kid, grow up. Mm. You're an adult. Now, you may not have your own place, but you're still an adult living in another adult's house. Your parents, but you got to respect that and take on some responsibility and pay every other bill that you can. You should be paying for your own cell phone. You should be paying for your own car insurance. You should be paying for all of those things. Those are important things. That's a good point. That you have to at least consider yeah. when you reach that age of majority. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Switching topics again. How important is it to a woman to leave the house wearing a bra and underwear that match. Oh, Is I, it unimportant or would you say that's important? On a daily basis, unimportant. On a special occasion, maybe it's important. More than one in three women say they will not leave the house 
with bra and panties that don't match. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine to each their own. Sometimes you want that matching set. My question is why? Well, I guess it. De- I would love to dig a little deeper here because maybe for those people, they they have unexpected encounters, and that's why. Maybe after work, they might find themselves out, and things might happen, and they want to make sure that they're ready to go and and matching. Or maybe they do it for themselves. Let's not forget. A lot of people like to do things for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, sometimes I'll wear some special ones just because, not necessarily because I'm expecting anything, but just because it makes me feel good. So there's any number of reasons why someone would do that. Great. I uh, have nothing to match it to, but I always have great underwear on. Very, very nice. I replace them regularly. You could add a bow tie or something fun. Oh, I could. You could. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a top hat? A top hat and boxer <laughs> shorts. That's how I'm going to start doing it. Um, I, I'm going to try and play some audio here for you to wrap up this edition because it was an interesting subject that came up today on the Scott and Cat Show. And again, I know we've given a few radio plugs today, but I'm going to do one more. Weekday mornings, 5.30 till 9.30. Energy 95.3, 91.5 The Beat. Afternoons, London, 103.1 Fresh Radio. And at night, Fresh 93.1 Barry's Hit Music. Gwyneth Paltrow was on another pod. It was Call Her Daddy. And she was talking about some of her exes. This is the topic that came up. And they played a game of Fuck, Mary Kill with three of her exes. Ben Affleck, Chris Martin from Coldplay, Brad Pitt. Here's how this went down. Mary Kill. <laughs> Brad Pitt, Ben Affleck, and Chris Martin. God, I gotta tell you that I can't listen to that podcast because they talk like that. Oh my God. Great content, but holy shit. Wow. Well, obviously I'd marry Chris Martin because he gave me my two children who are the loves of my life. So I would do that all again. But kill is so, that's such a hardcore. It's not actually, it's like put to the wayside. Okay, I can. One more time. I think we know your answer. I think Brad. Brad, yeah. Yeah. And then Ben, yeah. God bless Ben. God bless him. God bless him and his Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Who would you fuck, marry, or kill in that scenario? Okay, I would probably marry Ben. Really? I feel like he's. Okay. I, I just feel like, and I don't know this firsthand, but I, I just feel like Jennifer Lopez is a con- constant ball breaker. So I figure he is about as beaten down as a man could possibly be. You want to fix him. I could fix him <laughs> and show him what life could be like with the right partner. <laughs> okay. And no disrespect to J-Lo. I just get okay. the impression she's a bitch. Uh, okay, so marry Ben. Yep. Fuck... Uh, Come on. There's no way nobody's going Brad Pitt on this one. Uh, okay. I'll, all right. You're not going to fuck Chris Martin, are you? I don't even really remember what Chris Martin looks like, <laughs> to be honest with you. He has one of those faces. Yeah, it's you're a not, very forgettable you're face, right? You're not wrong. Like, great voice, forgettable face. You're not wrong. But he's got great music, so I don't want to kill music. the guy either. Well, yeah, this is the point of the game. It's very, it's supposed to be difficult. Okay, fuck Brad Pitt, marry Ben Affleck, Kill Chris Martin. There's my final answer. What would about you? You just killed Coldplay, you asshole. You know, actually, you know what? I'm going to change it. Kill Ben Affleck, and then hopefully the memory of that Batman movie will go away forever. Um, okay. Who would you? I think I would do the same as you, actually. Marry Ben, fuck Brad, kill Coldplay. <laughs> 
Okay, well. As there, much as I love Coldplay. There was two other things that Gwyneth Paltrow weighed in on. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio. What about a little Leo action? No, never made out with Leo. Never. He, d- he tried back in the day. But he was already like, you know, he was very doing his thing. Loose with the goods, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. from when he was 19. <laughs> loose I'm, with the Kate, goods. Okay, listen, <laughs> you, you, you might hate Gwyneth Paltrow, and I get it. She has a lot of haters. But the way that she phrases things fascinates me. Loose, loose with, with the with goods. The goods uh, uncoup- consciously uncoupling, uh, uh, different ways that she says things. In fact, I want to play another thing that impressed me. When she had this to say, because she didn't want to make it seem like she killed Ben Affleck in the game, she didn't want to make it seem like she disliked Ben. In fact, she called him a a, a pretty decent lover, one would say. Listen to this. Ben was like technically excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Technically excellent. That means something's missing. No, technical means like technically, like pushing all the right buttons, putting everything in the order that it should be technical detail that's what i hear it wasn't what order should he put it in what order does it go in well that's a complicated animal you know what i'm saying and if ben <laughs> and if ben has figured it out and he knows exactly what buttons to push and when then absolutely this makes all the sense in the world because it's a there's a lot of moving parts it's more of a when than a which because i think everybody at most people, most intelligent, competent lovers know which buttons to press. It's pressing them in the right sequence and at the right time that makes you good. This is exactly it, right? So if you're technically a good lover, here's how I understand that. And I'm glad we're in the pod here because I couldn't say what I let, wanted to say on course. the radio this yeah, morning. Let it out. I think, yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing in the bedroom. He is probably going to have your tur- your co Toes curled right. and and screaming for more or no more. I don't know what she screams. And that's what she said, by the way. It was toe curling. Oh, really? Yeah. So I believe that. But he's probably, to get the technically excellent, I'm going to guess, knows exactly what to do. Probably not that engaged. Not very passionate. He just goes in, fucks you, and then I'm going to go have a smoke. <laughs> And he probably does. And he probably that. does. Yeah, I mean, I we know he's, he's a smoker. He's a chain smoker. So I think that technically a good lover doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best. I think if he's just an excellent lover, fine. Technically excellent means something is missing. She said more too. She was talking about Brad Pitt, but she said that they were truly in love. See, to me, it's they, they were not in love. Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow, she was at least not in love with him, the way that she talked about him in the podcast. When it came to Brad Pitt, she was definitely in love with him. Like, no doubt about it. And she said it. She said, I, I'm, I was deeply, deeply, deeply in love with Brad. So that makes a difference too, right? Sure. You're emotionally invested yeah. in that. All right, guys, we got to go. Thank you for listening to this episode of After 9. We will have another brand new one coming your way tomorrow. I'm led to believe that Dave Blizzard might join us because ah, it's Friday. Right. But I also haven't heard from the fucking guy in like three days. He's I, got a baby and he's very busy. I thought he was here for a second because his light's on. But he has one of those lights in his office where if someone walks in or shuts the door even, the light goes on automatically and then it shuts off after a while. So I like, I'm like oh, he's in. I pop my head over. I'm like, Dave, it's not here. And I just kept walking. Honest to God. I j- don't know. Just talking about Dave for a second. I don't know how he does. I don't know why he comes here to the building anymore because when he's in his office it is a parade of people going in there hey what's up some of them need things some of them don't need anything they just want to shoot the shit or try and kiss his ass i walk by give him the finger and leave i don't even say goodbye anymore and that's good that's how our relationship (laughs) works but how does this fucking he really does guys yeah like fuck (laughs) off he really does see you later fuck (laughs) you (laughs) 
have a good day. Fuck off. Call you tonight, exactly. <laughs> which we do. Yeah. I, uh, I I don't know how him and a lot of managers get anything done because people just keep coming into their office and they don't necessarily want or need anything. They're just a pain in the ass. You're loitering. If you were at a restaurant, they'd kick you out. Sometimes I think he makes up that he's in meetings when he's not. Maybe we should ask him about that tomorrow if he comes on. Yeah, we can ask Are him Are you some pretending to be in a meeting? Because I tried to say hello to you. Um, okay, listen, the Hollywood writer's strike, Scott, I think is going to continue for a while. A couple of reasons why. Number one, uh, NBC has announced that they're going to pay all the late night crew for two weeks. And then Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers, at least, I don't know about the other shows, but they're going to pay their staff for the following week. Plus, NBC also announced that they'll continue their benefits all the way through to September. Does that tell you that this is going to last a while or what? It does. I just, again, I don't think that that's the right strategy. Hey, it's good that you want to help out your employees that are on strike. But when you go on strike, you take a risk. You take a risk that you're not going to get what you want or that maybe the employer will just say, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's go in a different direction. Here's your final offer. Take it or leave it. Maybe they'll even lock you out. NBC is paying the bill. For these individual shows that air on NBC to say, you know what, we're going to pay our writers a little bit and we're going to top up their health insurance for a little bit and blah, blah, blah. That's not the point of a strike. You're basically working against your own employer. Mm -hmm. Leverage goes both ways. It has to go both ways. And when you, as the intermediary there, you're on their network, but the writers write for you. When you get involved and make the striking a lot easier, you're really just dragging out the pain for NBC and all of the other networks. I don't know why they're getting involved. Stay out of it. Well, we'll keep you updated with it. In the meantime, you know how this goes. We have no jokes, except for the fact that I do. Oh, did you give us, are you going to do a joke today? What's today, Scott? It is Thursday. What day? May the 4th. May the 4th be with you as well. Which program do Jedis use to open PDF files? Oh, I don't know. Adobe Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Why is Yoda such a good gardener? Why? Because he has a green thumb. You can see it when he starts telling you one of his famous Yoda quotes. Oh. Mm, green thumb? Which website did Chewbacca get arrested for creating? Which one? WookieLeaks. <laughs> Thank you very much. More jokes coming your way tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> season of 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global Stream on Stack TV